Welcome to yet another episode of the Healthy Obsession Podcast. As always, it's your hosts, Hayden and Chris. And this week, we have to start with the utter craziness that has been the GameStop stock situation. Oh boy, has there been a single bigger story this year besides stonks? There is one <laughs> potentially more impactful, but we honestly we don't know yet. This one could be coming. But I know you have you bit the bullet and you you are invested now. You're you own some GameStop stock, huh? Yeah, I I am minimally invested. I have one share in GameStop just to to be part of the the quote movement and see where it could go. And I do have a few shares in AMC as well because that was more affordable. But boy, you uh, you sure didn't get in early. <laughs> no, no, I did not. I I, <laughs> I got my GameStop stock at like around three hundred, so not not great. But oh. you know, with with the with the potential, it could go somewhere. It, we, it could. We don't know that somewhere could be straight down. Um, <laughs> I. I'm watching from the sidelines, so all you brave SOBs holding the line. Diamond you, hands. You you just keep doing your thing, I guess. Uh, the f- first caveat that will probably come while for however long we decide to talk about the stock market. One, we are not giving you any sort of trading advice. We have no authorization or accreditation or knowledge <laughs> to be able to give anyone trading advice. Yeah, um, we only like the stock. <laughs> and the only thing I would say is if you do think you want to jump in on this craze, please, for the love of God, don't put more money in than what you're willing to lose. And that Always. is where my trading advice ends. Well, not not trading advice. Because yeah, we're, well, we're, we're, not, we're yes. not giving financial advice. True. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> if someone took financial <laughs> advice from me, I would be, oh, my God. I don't even uh, know how to do it. But that's it is, the it is a very interesting story, though. To, and so I, I guess I'm excited to, to see where it goes. Yeah, to give a little bit of a background, a super like level zero description of what's been going on. Uh, some, and I I will give the super basic version, and then Chris, if you want to throw in any more detail, go for it. But uh, a bunch of uh, the subreddit called Wall Street Bets decided to basically bump up the GameStop stock. Uh, there's a bunch of reasoning behind why GameStop and other reasonings behind potentially going after some hedge funds that were severely shorting the stock. If you don't know what shorting means, it's a, it's basic, most basic principle. It's you're basically taking a bet that a company will not do well. And so then you get rewarded for doing so. And I'll leave it at that because it gets way more complicated. Um, but so partly because of a hedge fund shorting, overly shorting the GameStop stock, it caught the eye of the subreddit. And boy, did they use that as a catalyst to just try and bump up the price of the GameStop stock. God, I'm going to hate having to keep saying that. <laughs> And so essentially, it was the catalyst for the GameStop stock just skyrocketing. Now, I'm, I don't have any, I've seen a lot of stuff, different information and theories about all of it. I come from the school of thought that it was not simply the subreddit and the subredditors buying the stock that made it bump up this much because I just don't think they have the financial capacity. To be able to do that, so there's probably some other hedge funds or other big players involved that have made it to what it is. But essentially, that little spark from the subreddit has just ballooned the GameStop stock, where I think earlier this month it was trading at like $40 or lower a share. And I think the peak I've seen it is over 420 a share. It got up uh, consistently to around 500 for a oh, few wow. minutes on one day. Uh, and there were reports that uh, some people were seeing purchase options on their shares as high as 2K at one point. Holy shit. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. I didn't know it got that high. But so everything is going kind of nuts 
associated with this and you know people were trying to just get in on it just i guess more kind of like you to be a part to be a part of it um but the it's it's amazing how fast all the rich people got super salty that poor people the poors were making some money mm-hmm. um and now they're trying to question whether there should be they should change the rules on how some stock trading is done but that's kind of the super basic description and of what's going on I, if you haven't been heard about this going on I kind of don't know how because I feel like it's just completely dominated the news cycle for this week. Yeah, it's been everywhere. And and if I could make a clarification, uh, this, this at least didn't start out as a concerted effort to manipulate stock prices to hurt a hedge fund. There was a singular investor uh, on the Reddit known as Deep Fucking Value who, like... <laughs> Late last year, even, I think, put in a lot of money YOLOing on GameStop stock because he saw that the shorts were happening and he was taking a chance on it. And from there, it just kind of gained momentum where other people noticed that investment because he was posting every day being like, this is the status of my GameStop YOLO. And other people were like, maybe I should buy some GameStop stock. And then other people were like, maybe I should buy some GameStop stock. And it just kind of snowballed from there. So it wasn't a discussion on the subreddit of, yes, let us all buy. GameStop stock and screw this hedge fund because that would be illegal market manipulation. Well, uh, not it kind of did turn to that. Well, at yes. some point, but so, but yet, so you're now right. that's not how it started. It it has evolved into a veritable movement where now the rhetoric is fuck the rich, fuck this hedge fund. We're getting ours. Redistribute the wealth. And I'm all I'm all here for that. Yeah, uh, I, and, I love and there it. Uh, there was discussion I was reading just the other day that I think uh, they had worked out the math that if the subreddit, which now Wall Street Bets has gone to over seven million subscribers, which at the start of this it was only just over two million last time I checked. When I when I subbed to it, it was at three point five, so it's doubled since that, and that was on Wednesday when I subscribed. So in like four days, it doubled its subscriber base. Yeah. So the math is like if on average every single subscriber on the subreddit had ten shares in GameStop, which I don't think is a too wild of an assumption because there's people that have thousands of shares in GameStop compared to people like you that are subscribed and have nothing or people like me that are subscribed and have one. Mm -hmm. Uh, If on average everyone had 10, that could potentially be every single share of GameStop or at least not every share, but like a pretty good majority of the shares. That aren't owned by like the CEO and upper management kind of thing. Yeah. Free stocks. Which then becomes a problem for the hedge fund shorters because, uh, you know, again, not to get too into the weeds because we don't entirely know what we're talking about. The the biggest problem for the hedge funds right now is not only did they short stock on GameStop, but they shorted more stocks than actually existed. Oh. Which is not necessarily an illegal thing to do, but is well actually i think it is illegal but it's something that's just done because they can get away with that but they're rich so it's not really illegal yeah it's not uh it's not an abnormal thing to have done but it is a problem now when a significant majority of retail shareholders are holding the majority of the stock and it it makes it harder for them to cover their shorts in the end which is uh part of where the basis of this stock price is going to skyrocket comes from Mm, okay yeah see i mean as Chris just demonstrated, I don't even know all the ins and outs of it. Just I feel like I just caught some of the high points, the key points about it. But yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see how it keeps going this week. Yeah, definitely do your own due diligence, do your research, check it out for yourself. But it's it's definitely all over the news. It's hard not to hear about the story right now. Yeah, and I'm I'm mostly interested to see if and what changes regarding rules and regulations with wall street investing apps because that was that's the part we haven't even touched on yet one of the biggest things to come from this was uh multiple trading app platforms most notably Robinhood. i think it was thursday just stopped allowing people to buy gamestop and amc stock that's an another point we'll get to in a second but that was huge and i i 
don't really use investing apps. I had actually got a Robinhood account to just check out the AMC and GameStop stuff. But now I'm like, yeah, no, I'll jump ship from you guys because I think it's kind of bullshit. I, I've, I've later found out some of the more reasoning behind why they did that. I think there's some uh, behind closed doors shit that happened, but I don't think that was all of it um, based on their business platform and how they operate to allow people to have get stocks when they want them. It had to do with the money situation of them not having enough some of it being them not having enough capital to actually like keep funding <laughs> the mass purchasing of GameStop. Mm-hmm. But but that aside, it's still kind of bu- it's still pretty bullshit that they just stopped the sale of stocks for some of them and then later changed it to limiting the amount that you could purchase in general. But yeah, you can still then, sell it. Even then uh, that kind of had evolved throughout the day because they had started that next day saying, okay, you can buy five stocks of each. But then towards the end of the day, it got reduced to two stocks and then even one stock. And I think uh, one of our other friends was saying that it the way it was was if, if you were selling them, it would limit you to only being able to have one. So if you came in, like if I came in and I was like, oh, I want to buy GameStop, I could only have bought and held one total share. Mm-hmm. so it's it's wild uh but i i guess the other part of it is this is actually not just gamestop um there have been crazy boosts to some other stocks such as amc nokia and blackberry uh amc is probably the second biggest jump comparatively but it's it's just i don't know how much more time to put on this because i don't really know what the <laughs> hell's going on it's just really interesting to be on the sideline and see this crazy market stuff happening yeah and and who knows how long this is going to go on for um a lot of people were saying that friday was going to be the big day to see something happen uh nothing really happened uh but the longer nothing happens is potentially later the more things could happen you know because the yeah. whole time the hedge funds losing money, they have to cover their shorts. Shorts expired on Friday, so e- even if the price doesn't change, they're still getting hurt in some way, and it could potentially just drive the price even higher. Uh, so this coming week, we will probably see more things happen. But who knows how long this could be going on for? Yeah, we might. It might be a recurring thing where we update the neck, the newest stock that's just <laughs> going to the moon, as everyone is saying. <laughs> the funniest thing for me is that Amazon has noted that they have had uh, a significant uptick in buys and rentals of The Wolf of Wall Street and The Big Short. Oh, God, no. But those don't actually tell you anything about how to actually trade. No, but The Big Short is actually very interesting because it has to do with the 2008 crash, which mm-hmm. uh, the last time something like this happened with a significant squeeze was Volkswagen during the 2008 crash. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, they're definitely films and don't like fully explain things. But for context, uh, I think The Big Short is probably the more relevant of the two movies. Wolf of Wall Street's just fun. Yeah, I, I really like The Big Short. It might be uh, an honorable mention for something that we're going to be talking about later. Oh, man. Well, I think uh, that's about as good a transition as any, yeah. But we can't because first, other big news that happened this week. Uh, G4 is back, baby. Yeah! How how, do you, how are you going to skip over that? You're the one who oh, mostly no. wants to talk about that. No, no, no. I wasn't trying to skip. I was just going to be like, well, now that the preamble is over, we should like, you know, give an overview for the episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the G4 news here a little bit too. And then the main topic of discussion for today is we're going to be talking about three our three movies that we wish more people would see or have seen. Is that the... Yeah. I feel like that's a really bad way of saying that. But <laughs> well, we can we can try it again when we get to that part of the show. But yeah, just to to look forward to that. We got a list. Oh yeah. But now, Chris, G4 news go. Okay, so if if you don't remember what G4 is or if it was after your time, um it was a relatively short-lived television station that 
I know when I had Comcast back in the mid to late 2000s, I think it was channel 162 on my cable box. And G4 was essentially, it was the gamer network where it had video game related programming all day until the end. You had shows, uh, the the big flagship shows were Attack of the Show and X-Play, which were uh, an hour and half an hour respectively, where they just talked about video game news and they reviewed video games, talked about tech. It was a cool network that nothing like it has ever existed. And kind of because of, at the time, the really niche market that it was, it didn't last super long, even though they had a pretty diverse arrangement of programming. Um, it's it's even crazy to think about how big Ninja Warrior is in the West right now. G4 was the first network to play the original Ninja Warrior and was the catalyst for starting American Ninja Warrior. And on top of that, they ran other Japanese game shows like Unbeatable Banzuke. They had a Nerdist show on there. Uh, they had another show called Genius or something that was kind of like uh, a dirtier Mythbusters uh, Cinema Tech was one of my favorite shows on there. And that was literally just half an hour of them playing cutscenes from video games. <laughs> Incredibly cool concept. Uh, towards the end, they kind of lost steam. I don't think it had good management. Uh, I could shout out the, the YouTube channel Funhouse specifically. A lot of those guys were previous G4 employees, and they never seemed to have a lot of good things to say about it. Uh, and And then towards the end... They lost a lot of their programming, hosts left, uh, they started playing a lot of cops and cheaters on a the network. A lot of cops. <laughs> for hours at a time, uh, which was kind of the dying gasps of the network. And it was really sad to see it go, because nothing like it had existed before or since that was that mainstream, that was on TV, that wasn't entirely the internet. But then, a few months ago, they started teasing that they might be bringing G4 back in some way. And since then, we've had a reunion with the hosts from X-Play and Attack of the Show, uh, featuring a personal favorite video game journalist of mine, and I think Hayden's, Adam Sessler. His Twitter is great. (laughs) Post-G4, he's just a savage on Twitter and just goes at people. It's wild. Uh, so then the, the actual news here is that we, we were getting more concrete information. We got another teaser that was like uh, 40 seconds of them saying, like, yes, we are bringing Attack of the Show and X-Play back. And then on their YouTube channel, they're launching this thing called Before G4 that's going to have content, I, I think, on the YouTube channel. I, I'm still not entirely sure... If G4, I think it's coming back as like a web network. I think it's going to be on YouTube and it's going to be on Twitter and Instagram. I don't think they're going with the TV thing again. Uh, But we know that at the very least, they're bringing back Kevin Pereira and Adam Sessler, probably for Attack of the Show and Next Play, uh, again, respectively. Uh, And I, I, in general, I'm just very, very excited because I loved G4. It was it was the thing that really got me into video games and Adam. Well, I mean, I should say and Adam Sessler specifically got me into thinking about video games critically, Uh, being able to see their multi hour live coverage of E3 every year was like, oh, video games aren't just this thing I'm doing after school for fun. I really like this and I really want to analyze and think about this and have intelligent conversations about video games as a production and an art form. And that all started with G4. Uh, Did you ever watch the network yourself? Because it always seems like I'm one of the only people that knew about it. Yeah, I watched it, but I mostly only watched X-Play and Cheat or whatever the, the, the like cheat code e type show was yeah it was called cheat yeah which are... is not not a show that could work now unfortunately no because no everyone's just like here's your codes and it's an option you just click it and you put cheat codes on it's stupid but i really only watched those two um i didn't watch x play that much um just because the time slot was always weird for me and i would always forget that it was on so like i for that reason more than anything i would like not watch it as it was the new episodes that were on but yeah i did watch it but not that much 
Yeah, it's a shame, but I'm I'm really glad it's coming back now, and I hope that it will be more successful, especially if they're bringing back old hosts, uh, especially Adam Sessler, who had pretty much retired from like games media, and yeah. at least for a time was heading like a consulting firm for video game dev studios or something in that nature. And just shit talking people on Twitter. And shit talking people on Twitter. It's really cool to see him coming back because he's kind of a personal hero of mine. And uh, and and you recognized so the the video they put up on the YouTube channel was like uh, a funny skit that was explaining what they're gonna do before G four, uh, and it had a fairly popular YouTuber playing the quote CEO of G four. Yeah, it was Gus Johnson. Yeah, Gus Johnson. So I'm like, if they're gonna have J- Gus Johnson involved, I'm in because I love him. His skits are great. He's one of the few people right now still doing like sketch comedy on youtube or he's probably not he's one of the biggest people doing sketch comedy right now on youtube and i'm a big fan of his um so if he's in too i think he would mesh really well with the kind of uh atmosphere they're trying to probably have for like attack on the attack of the show he he fits that demographic really well i think yeah, and Gus Johnson is the kind of uh, personality on the internet that even if you don't know his name, even if you can't recognize his face, you have probably seen a video he's done spread around on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter. Yeah. Uh, the the one that I keep seeing is the one where he plays the, the cat that has the alarm to wake him up at 3 a.m. so he can go and fuck shit up in the house. It's like, <laughs> it's such I a great video. to do this. And just him running around at the end of it. It's like a perfectly cut scream video yeah. where it just screams behind a couch. Yeah, it's good. And it, he, he definitely feels like a natural evolution of the G4 style. And and I also personally hope that, uh, I, I also do not remember his name, but he did the show Unravel on Kotaku's YouTube channel, which is a, I, I'm not a big fan of Kotaku, but his series Unravel were, was very good content and he was very funny. And I think he recently left that show and, and I think without him, there is no show. So the show has ended and he left doing that kind of content. I really hope G4 picked him up because I think he'd be a good fit too. But just because of all that stuff, I'm thoroughly excited to see where this goes. Yeah, it's definitely promising to get some more mainstream video game journalism stuff out there cuz other than and maybe not even journalism, but just in the world of what is gaming stuff. I it's, it feels so weird to be like, what do gamers like? <laughs> but I think gaming culture has changed a lot since G4's been around previously, so so a lot of the same stuff still applies whether that be good or bad. But um, it'll be interesting to see how they tackle this new media environment because it's changed so much since G4 has been around, or G4 was around previously. Yeah, and I hope to God they succeed. Yeah. Well, we got to see the content first. As much of a garbage fire as G4 as a company could seem to be, it was very unique and it did a lot for me in my formative years, and I hope that we can recapture some of that magic, and yeah. uh, and maybe even come up with something uh, like Code Monkeys again, uh, which Code Monkeys was like one of their only original scripted shows that probably wouldn't work now, but was thoroughly interesting at the time. It was like an eight-bit animated show lampooning video game companies from the eighties. Uh, very funny for the time. Had a lot of really cool cameos. Only lasted two seasons. And I wish they would bring it back. Yeah, I, I watched a little bit of it, but I never got super into it. But it was, like you said, very original and unique for... I'd say even now, it would still be considered very unique. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be very interesting to see, to watch this reestablish itself and see where they go with it. But I think that's about all we have to say. Uh, I'm going to be keeping a close eye on the YouTube channel and uh, especially, again, looking out for what Adam Sessler is doing there. I think their launch is supposed to be later this year, but otherwise, uh, who knows when they're really going to be dropping their before G4 stuff. So now we're going to talk about movies because if you <laughs> haven't noticed from like the last two weeks, we're back. We are itching 
at the bit. I'm saying a lot of things. I don't even know if these are the right way to say them. Uh, that, that one's not right. You're looking for chomping at the bit. Chomping at the bit. Got an itchy trigger finger. <laughs> That's the one I was thinking of. <laughs> I need movies, baby. And so what better thing to piggyback off of last week's discussion of Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus Kong. Can't remember the order, but you get the point. Um, we are going to talk about three, I guess you could say top three movies that we wish more people would see or top three movies that I wish people have seen. So it can go forward or backwards either way. You say, you say top three are yours in an order or do you just have a list? Uh, of, of the three I picked, I put them in an order. Okay. Cause I, I did not, but I could do that. Um, that's why I, we, you see how much effort we put into our pre-show. Um, <laughs> I was thinking, because I think I first said it of just three movies or top three, but I'm just going to put it three movies, but I'm going to kind of do it in an order. Two and one for me are very interchangeable, um, but the third one is most definitely the the third ranked among the three. Sure. And I should say, as far as my list goes, uh, I, I don't think either of us really watch super obscure movies. But uh, when you say that, like, more people should see this movie, that's kind of a, a, a and not solid concept because I, only the most avid moviegoers make an effort to see every movie that's nominated for Picture of the Year at, or Best Picture at the Oscars. So it, it's kind of weird to say this Oscar-nominated movie is something that more people should see. But then it's kind of true. Because only things like blockbusters could you really say, oh, everyone has seen this. So I think for the list, it's probably still movies you might have heard of, but also movies that we feel like not enough people have seen. That being said, I'm not going to have fucking Into the Spider-Verse on my list. I'm not going to have Infinity War on my list because, yeah, everyone's probably already seen that. That's a better explanation. I like that. We're going with what Chris said. <laughs> but like, I almost had Lady Bird on my list, which felt weird because it was nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, uh, but like, no one saw it. Like, outside, no like, saw it. to your point, outside of movie buffs, no one saw it. Like, yeah. I've showed that movie to a lot of people because they're like, what? I heard of it, but I never saw it. And I'm like, perfect. See, that's what this award <laughs> is. Or this award. That's what we're discussing. Yeah. So... Uh, don't don't sound off in those comments that we don't have about i've seen that movie whatever yeah name me five other people you know that have seen the movie (laughs) now granted one of mine might be that my number one anyone who would sign off i know you so you can't say that because i showed you this movie um and my number two if i i've chris has heard of my number two i'm gonna be shocked but to get us started i'll go first my number three is the lighthouse. Okay. Uh, it probably, I think it's it's the most recent movie I have on my list. Um, I feel like it's hit or miss on if you've heard of it because it didn't have a really long stint in theaters. No, it's it did an not. A twenty four film, if I am correct. Yes, yeah, um, you're correct. With Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe, basically to just give you a quick overview of the movie, it two dudes, man in a lighthouse on a dinky little island in the middle of the ocean, and boy is it a descent into madness, and I love every bit of it. Every time I have someone new watch it, I'm just like, man, I, j- I love this movie. So the main reason why it's on my list is because... I with each time I watch it I like the movie more and more and it just makes me go wow I wish way more people have seen this movie because I don't feel like many people saw it in theaters the great thing is is oh what streaming site is it on it's either on Amazon Prime or Netflix I think it's Amazon Prime and I think it's free on Amazon Prime like you don't have to rent it to see it so you could just go watch it yeah, Prime Video. Yeah, you could you could just go watch it when you're done listening to the podcast, and you should do that because it's great. Uh, it's in black. I lo- it's a black. The whole thing's in black and white, and it's in like a four by three. Yeah, 
aspect ratio, so it doesn't take up your whole screen. So seeing it in theaters was really weird because it doesn't take up very much of the screen and it's in black <laughs> and white. But yeah, and boy. I feel like uh, those things really work against the lighthouse in regards to getting people in seats to see it. Yeah, because uh, at least for myself, when I was an impressionable youth, I turned my nose up at anything that was black and white because I was like, oh, it's old and gross. And also because I had legitimately fallen asleep trying to watch Nosferatu when I was like 13. Okay, but uh, that's just a shitty old movie. Yeah, but even then, I didn't watch Clerks for the longest time because I was like, gross, it's in black and white. I don't want to watch this. <laughs> okay. And now Clerks is like a top five movie for me. Uh, so that, like, you know, the lighthouse being in black and white, being in four by three, being shot on old film equipment, that's fucking cool to people like us. And it super serves the atmosphere. But it also makes the movie become come off as artsy and to the wrong person even pretentious. And that could make people not want to see it. Fair. But, I mean, you got to see it for Willem Dafoe because his acting in that movie is so good. I mean, Robert Pattinson's also really good in it. But, but Defoe really goes for Def- it. Defoe is all in, man. If you like listening to uh, Assassin's Creed Black Flag's sea shanties, you will resonate with Willem Defoe's character in this movie. Because yeah. he's basically like a crazy pirate, but he decided to retire and be a, wa- a lighthouse watchman boy, guy, man. I don't know. I can't remember what his <laughs> title is. I think it was a wiki. Oh, no, I thought that was what Pattinson was. I thought they were both wikis. You're probably right. I don't know. Uh, I've seen the movie like five times and don't remember, (laughs) but... They were there to watch The Lighthouse. That's all you need to know. And, yeah, and just be ready, because it gets weird. That's all I'll say. It is a ride, but a very fun one, and that is why it comes in as my number three. Uh... And yeah, I, I also I'll say I have an A24 picture on my list as well. Uh, and A24 kind of comes off as like it, it constantly has this aesthetic of being an indie studio, uh, but they put out pretty consistently good movies, in my opinion. Uh, and not enough people see their movies in general. Occasionally, they'll have a mainstream hit like uh, Hereditary. Uh, or... I still think you could put Hereditary on one of these lists, though. I don't think enough people have seen Hereditary. Sure, but a lot of people have heard of Hereditary, at least. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we'll get to that one later, because my first movie on my list is Sorry to Bother You. Ooh, yes. You were telling me about this a little bit already. Yeah. Uh, so, Sorry to Bother You is a rare kind of film that has uh, a situation that I normally reserve for video game recommendations, where I almost want to say absolutely nothing about the movie when I try to tell someone to watch it, because I almost feel like any singular detail could hurt the watching experience of Sorry to Bother You. Because I I can't necessarily say that it's a good movie. It's been a while since I've seen it. I don't know if I could give it a 10 out of 10. It might barely crack an 8 out of 10. But it is perfectly enjoyable. And I will just say that there is a twist like halfway through the movie that it is impossible to see coming. It's the kind of twist you will never see again in a movie because it's so fucking out of left field that you are not ready for it. But despite that, the movie has a very fun aesthetic to it. Uh, the, the, uh, The synopsis of the movie without getting too deep on the the plot after the, 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 the first half, is uh, Lakeith Stanfield plays uh, a man who gets a job at a call center. Uh, he is a black man. All the workers around him are black. And uh, the, the initial joke of the movie is that they all, while they're making cold calls, they have to use their white voice to talk to the customers in order to get them to buy whatever it is they're selling. I'm not sure if it's ever specified. Uh, so they do this fun thing where when they're on the phone, all the black actors are then voiced by white actors. Like, they just actually have completely different voices. They're dubbed over. It's not actually them doing a different voice. They just become a white voice at that point. Um, I think I remember some anti-capitalist messaging going on. I don't know how effective it is, but the movie is so much fun. It's, it's a treat for the eyes 
It's vivid. It does some wacky visual gags. And like I said, that that twist halfway through, I I can't even explain if it ties into <laughs> anything because it just gets weird. And I people like may have heard of this movie. They may have seen the trailers for this movie, but it was short-lived in theaters. And I, I don't think I have met anybody else that has seen this movie besides me that I haven't first told them they need to watch. Hmm, fair. I know I've heard of it, but I myself have not seen it yet. Um, but if you're going to tease me with a twist like that, I got I to gotta go see this soon. You are not ready. Oh, well, maybe then I, maybe I'll wait. I don't know. Shit. <laughs> Are you trying to sell me on this or no? <laughs> no, it should be a selling point that you're not ready. Going oh. blind and dry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, anything else or are we moving on to number two? No, that's all I got. You go ahead. Okay. My number two is a uh, romantic comedy from the 70s. Interesting. It's called uh, What's Up, Doc? In it, who do you think's in it? Uh, who? I I don't know if I know actors from the seventies. That was it. Any old romantic comedy, I feel like I gotta guess Vince Vaughn. No, but that, no, yeah, that was probably before his no. time. There's there's only one person that I know you would you will know probably know of. You might know the lead actor. I don't know anything else he's in, but uh, it's a Barbara Streisand movie. Okay. Uh, she plays the lead female role, and then the the male role is Ryan O'Neill. Yeah, no, I've not not even heard of him. Uh, with special guest Madeline Kahn, who uh, is from a lot of uh, what's his name, <sighs> Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein. Uh, oh, Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks movies. Yeah, she's she's like the supporting female role. She's fantastic, obviously. Um, but yeah, it's a stupid little rom com that takes place in san francisco where it's basically centered around this um i guess you'd call it a bag or a suitcase um i because it's just like a bag but it's a huge ass bag i I, but there's like four of them like four different people have the an identical bag that are all staying at the same hotel and through quirks and stupid stuff all the bags get flipped up around and it's just trying to each person trying to get their bag back, which is actually a funny, somewhat one of one of the, very similar to one of the funnier lines near the end of it. But uh, it's just really fun, and I always, whenever I say, "Oh yeah, Barbara, Barbara Streisand's in it," depending on how you feel about Barbara Streisand, some people are like, <laughs> "Oh okay," or other people are like, "Oh god, really? Ew." Which I guess I didn't know that uh, Barbara Streisand was that bipolar of a. <laughs> entity i because i've always just been like i mean yeah whatever i know south park always makes fun of her with the (laughs) singing t-rex but i didn't think people like hated her um it's not a barbara streisand heavy movie so if you're one of those people who doesn't care for her much she's just in it she doesn't really sing she sings for like 30 seconds and then i think she actually sings the intro but that's not her in character but it's a really fun little movie. It's huge, like it's kind of like the cult movie in my family. So I've seen this movie a bajillion times since like the age of ten, um, and it's like insight. Well, we my family can quote this movie to death whenever we get together. <laughs> um, I actually don't know how many people I've recommended or showed it to because it's more. Uh, I'm always like iffy on it because. It's an older comedy, so some of the stuff doesn't age as well. And it's such a inside joke with my family that it's like one of those. I know I like it probably way more than most people should. But that being said, I still think it's something to check out because for um, my sister showed it to a bunch of her friends, and most of the, like most of them enjoy it and like it after they see it. So that's why it's on my number two. Um, yeah, I've never even heard of this movie, but no, I, not, I knew not. you wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm not really a rom com guy, let alone a '70s rom com. It guy. is, it is a deep cut. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know really anyone who has heard of it. I'm into it though. 
that's around our age. That's our age. Or I'll, okay, preface. I mean, there's plenty of people who have probably know of it and seen it, but people who are around our age, just I, I would be kind of, I would be very impressed if they had one heard of it and two seen it. Sure. But great, great cast. Uh, if you watch it, you'll probably see a lot of people that you've seen because there's a lot of Mel Brooksy characters in it, uh, or people who are in a lot of Mel Brooks films in that movie. I do like Mel Brooks. I am a Mel Brooks fan. You might want to check it out. <laughs> maybe. Maybe I will. Uh, I think, alternatively, I, I don't know like where your last movie will fall on the timeline, but all of my stuff is decently recent. I'd say within the last, uh, well, I guess my, my next one was like seven years old. So, you know, that that's probably the oldest one on there. So yeah, my number two. Within like five years ago. but Which yeah. came out in 2014 is Taika Waititi's What We Do in the Shadows. Which has gained some momentum as a property with Taika doing Thor, uh, doing a couple episodes of The Mandalorian, uh, Jojo Rabbit, and recently the What We Do in the Shadows TV series on Hulu. Uh, But my pick here is the original What We Do in the Shadows movie, which if I'm not mistaken is still available on Prime Video. Uh, What We Do in the Shadows is about uh, four vampires living together in a flat in New Zealand. Uh, They have invited a documentary crew to come to their flat and essentially, like, document the life of a vampire in modern-day New Zealand. Uh, So it's a mockumentary-style movie. It's very funny. It's very dry comedy. If you liked the jokes in Thor Ragnarok, then what we do in the shadows is that turned up to 10. It's primordial Taika Waititi. Without all the polish, without huge production values, he even plays a character in the movie. So if you're unaware, he played Korg in Thor Ragnarok, and he also played Hitler in Jojo Rabbit. He himself is a fantastic comedic actor. Uh, him and Jermaine Clement of uh, Flight of the Concords is in What We Do in the Shadows. They are both fantastic. Uh, so I would say if you like Taika's writing, if you like The Office, if you like mockumentary-style movies, this is going to be one of the best examples of that you can find. Uh, and also, uh, it, it kind of gave birth to, like, a reinvigoration of a vampire obsession for me because I didn't do that in middle school when Twilight was a thing. But because, really? of, because of what we do in the shadows, I was kind of like, yeah, vampires are fucking cool. <laughs> uh, watch the movie on a whim. Very funny. Can't recommend it enough. Yeah, I've, I I guess I didn't know that there was a movie. Oh, you didn't? I don't think I knew there was a movie. I knew of the TV show, but I but I say that going. I feel like somewhere in my head, I knew it was an IP. I just didn't. I just didn't know that it was a movie hmm. that it was coming from. Um, but and I don't think I knew that it was a Taika Waititi movie. So. Your list is all going to be ones where I'm going to probably 100% watch because I have a feeling most of your last one, too, will be ones that I haven't seen. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll see. But yeah, uh, check it out. I know you like Taika, so you should definitely watch it. Yes. yes and I don't I think it's a very long movie either because, uh, again, it was early Taika. It's kind of got kind of an oh. indie aesthetic to it. Yeah, it's only like an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah, right around so like super the, manageable. the movie time, the time that <laughs> makes it a movie. Yeah. So it gets in, it gets out. Very funny. Moving on to the last recommendations. Uh, mine is Chef. Um, I think this one might be a little iffy because of all of them, I feel like this is the one that people have seen, more the most people would have seen. But it is also pretty indie and in how it was only in theaters for just a short period of time. And easily missed. But yeah, I, I actually think only know of it as being uh, a thumbnail I kept scrolling past on Reddit. Not Reddit, uh, Netflix. Yeah, I was excited, but it's on Netflix, and so you've probably seen it there. But it is a phenomenal movie. It is easily one of my favorites, favorite, just favorite movies, period. Um, it is my favorite summer movie ever. Um, and it's just, I just fucking love john favreau oh the man is just great 
But um, to give he's it a actually little... he's like the main character in this movie, yeah. Yeah, he's he's the main character. Um, to give you a little uh backstory on it, uh, he plays a chef, Carl Casper, um, who's working at a nice uh restaurant, I think in L.A. Um, but he's trying to, he wants to, he's a chef. So he wants to constantly like try new stuff, make, put new recipes on the menu, all that kind of stuff. The owner of the restaurant though, sees it from a business standpoint and he's like, it gets tired of him putting on this, you know, fancy smancy bullshit that no one wants to buy. But as a chef, you're like, but you know, I'm doing my thing. So it gets to a point of contention where, uh, he, he blows up on a food or, uh, Chef Casper blows up on a a food critic and basically gets fired. So what he does is he goes and he starts a food truck. And uh, his wife, who is uh, what's her name, Sofia Vergara, is plays his wife. Um, her ex husband, played by Robert Downey Jr., which is just a great freaking scene, owns a like rundown food truck out in Miami, and so. Uh, John Favreau's character flies out to get the food truck, fix it up, and then drive it all the way back to L.A. I pre- I'm hoping I didn't mess up the locations on that. I've seen <laughs> the movie a bajillion times, so it'd be kind of sad. But um, on the way back, he makes a bunch of stops. He like stops in uh, uh, New Orleans, to Austin, and he's with his son the whole time. And his son's kind of like taking a one-second video every day on the drive back and then at the end of it shows it to him and you know he cries because oh my god i got to spend time with my son great um but it's just a really good feel good movie the food that this man cooks in this movie will don't watch it don't go into this movie hungry because (laughs) my god will you have to just it, it makes it makes you want to cook at least for me it did um it made me fall in love with Cuban sandwiches, um, and it's just a really, it's just a really good movie. It's, it's not, it's like my favorite, but it is. I don't think by any means is like the best movie ever, but it's just solid in all fronts. I, I mean, there might be some stuff you could see and be like, that's a little meh, not for me. But overall, I mean, it's a good movie about food, man. I don't know, I don't know what else you need, but I'm weak to good food movies (laughs) and that's kind of turned into his own little pet property because they have the chef show on disney plus now yeah or is that on netflix too it's on netflix Um, okay and it's with uh roy roy Choi, who is uh who john favreau studied cooking under and if you don't know about roy Choi, he had i will i want to hope i don't mess this up he started a food truck that turned into a restaurant, which from further research seems to be a pretty popular thing nowadays <laughs> for these for chefs who like want to be able to express themselves and cook what they want. They start a food truck and if it gets big, at least in like the LA or big food truck scenes, like here in Indianapolis, we don't have a huge food truck scene, so it'd be really hard to do that. I mean, there is one, but it's like nothing compared to what you'd have in like Miami or LA. But, Which um, is a damn shame because food truck food is good food. Oh yeah, but so yeah, the chef show is just John Favreau and Roy Choi, um, going over just going around places, learning about different cooking styles, making different stuff. I highly if you if you've seen that show and haven't seen the movie, okay, well, come on, what are you doing? <laughs> um, but vice versa, if you see the movie and really like it, go check out the chef show because some of the food they make in that is great. And a lot of it is approachable to where it's not that hard. Like you could make a version of a lot of the stuff they're making on there. Um, and it's just really cool to just, I, I just love food. So if you're, if you're a foodie or just like watching shows or movies about food, it's the perfect movie for you. Yeah, like I said, I, I, I've been seeing Chef for years scrolling by on Netflix, and it was uh, it, it definitely caught my eye, and I had wanted to watch it, but it never seemed like a movie that I ever really wanted to sit down and watch. Uh, but in the years since, it, it stayed at the forefront of my mind as a movie that I think I would enjoy. Uh, and, and it's nice to hear you say that it is just a feel-good movie as well. 
because I think uh, that's that's about what I expected. And I think that I would really enjoy it when I do inevitably sit down to watch it. I say, I guess it's technically considered a drama comedy, oh, mostly because okay. there's some family drama. Like the whole thing is, oh, is he going to get back? Because I guess he's divorced from Sophia Vergara's character. Uh, and it's like, oh, are they going to get back together by the end of the movie? And then you're like, eh, yeah, probably. Um, and him dealing with his son who is coming from divorced parents. That's why there's the whole dynamic of him spending time with the son. But it's just, it's just good. Watch it, please. <laughs> okay. So uh, then I'll move on to my number one pick, which, like I had already teased, is another A24 film. So something that's a little indie, just a little underground. You might have heard of it, but you probably didn't see it. Uh, Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade. That's it. That was an A24 film? Yeah. I did not know that. I've actually, I've seen one. I've seen one of yours. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a lot of people I talk to when I mention Eighth Grade, they... They might have heard of it, but they're unsure, and they definitely didn't know that it was written by Bo Burnham. Uh, it was, uh, I, I believe it was written and directed, I could be wrong, uh, but it was Burnham's first outing in that regard outside of his stand-up, which I am a huge Bo Burnham fan. Uh, and Bo Burnham is, like, right around our age, so a lot of what he does really resonates with me specifically, and people our age specifically. Uh, and, and I thought it was, it was kind of weird, honestly, that this movie, which I believe came out in 2018, uh, was, uh, it was an encapsulation of the modern middle school experience, which it was totally believable. Like, you know, me being in 2018, so far removed from middle school as an environment, it felt like a genuine natural evolution of the things of middle school that stay the same along with all of the new things the uh the social media boom the youtuber boom things like tiktok uh memes that kids just shout to themselves in the hall it was i we see so much high school and we see so much college in movies but middle school is often not really looked at with the kind of lens that eighth grade has and middle school being, like, arguably the worst time of my life, 8th grade super resonated with me as an analytical lens to see that especially volatile formulative period in childhood. And to see the relationship with the main character's dad and the way she sees herself in relation to her peers and her body image, it was incredibly genuine. And wasn't a movie that left me crying necessarily, because it's not a sad movie. It's in its own way a coming-of-age movie. Uh, but it was something that, in, the, in, in a similar way that Lady Bird had, resonated with me deeply. And I felt like, even in 2018, I had gone back to middle school and had seen what that had become in the interim. Uh, and in some ways it was a stressful movie and in other ways it was a vindicating movie and by the end it was just a, a very satisfying watch. And and again, for someone like Burnham who uh, is in so much an encapsulation of the millennial cynicism of the modern age, it was really cool to see that he could go back to a time that is even you know after him and still make something so passionately genuine for the time. And the, the main actress definitely helps, that it's not a case of older actors trying to play young. This is a legitimately young actress who is, at the very least, around the age she's supposed to be representing, and she comes at it with an awkward genuineness that is probably the biggest selling point for the movie itself. And oh, yeah, if she's you, fantastic. If you want that kind of stressful, awkward cringe and go back to that form formative period in your life god damn can i not recommend this movie enough yeah it it encapsulates encap how fucking awful it is right now to be an eighth grader like i thought you know like like to your point you know it some things stay the same th some things change with it but i am so happy that i'm not in eighth grade right now oh my and, god and that we missed all we just barely missed all the social media boom while in middle school because that really didn't it was around but it didn't really start to blow up until we were in high school is right. when it was just 
like actual mainstream. Like we had Facebook in middle school, but we like Instagram hadn't quite taken off. Twitter hadn't quite taken off. But even with Facebook, I think when I was in eighth grade, you could still only get a Facebook if you, it it was like right out either. It was either still in place or right after you had to have a university email to make an account. So like, in high school, I know is when anyone could get one, but like in eighth grade, I think it was either just right after that switch happened or what. So most people weren't on it. People were on a MySpace, and like MySpace, it was essentially the same thing, but no one really gave a shit about what was on there. Yeah. But man, the the constant feedback. I mean, ah, I couldn't do it. I'm so glad I missed that, and I feel so sorry for kids at that age that have to go through it with all this technology feedback from literally everything you do like it encapsulates it perfectly yeah and and even then as stressful as all that is that's one of the more interesting parts of the movie for me is that the main character as i assume a kid would just kind of accepts it as a fact and does her best within that kind of environment because even with the uh the stressful uh, put down nature of what could be happening on social media. She like tries to be a YouTuber where uh, for a lot of the movies, she's cataloging her day to day and posting it on YouTube. She's not doing anything with it. I don't think she's even editing her videos. She's not doing a show. She's literally just vlogging in the year 2018 and putting it up on YouTube as is. So she's really leaning into it and wanting to put herself out there in a way that I think the current age has molded children to do so. And, and I mean, even us, you know, we're, we're here doing a podcast. We're streaming. We're part of that. We're still a product of that. It's just that these characters and these kids are growing up with it instead of growing into it like we did. Yeah. It's all they know. We know what ha- what was before. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so eighth grade. That's my list. Okay, I I'm surprised. I've seen one on your list. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little surprised. But uh, and I, then uh, I do have a couple of honorable mentions as well. And I think okay. you you had one too. I have at least one. Yes. Okay. Uh, I guess then since I since I have two, I'll start, and then you can do yours in between mine. We'll make okay. we'll make a little honorable sandwich. nice Uh, so so uh one of them is uh is actually a movie that i think more people should see uh but wasn't one that i want to go too deep in on and it's uh you know i forget the director now but it's her with spike jones oh are you familiar with this movie oh yeah yeah yeah. no yeah spike jones was the writer joaquin phoenix is the actor yes thank you uh yeah have you have you seen this movie yeah okay so uh, just not to get too deep into it, her is a romance movie about uh, Joaquin Phoenix falling in love with Siri, essentially. Uh, and because of like a machine learning algorithm and the way his personal AI is designed, she becomes more intelligent. Uh, and uh, and it's the thing that's happening like all over the world at that point is like other people are kind of falling in love with their AIs, uh, and it's uh, it's an examination of love in the modern era. Uh, there's also some very interesting things said about artificial intelligence and where that could be going. Uh, and as a a sad, lonely soul that I am, it's a movie that I actually watch around Valentine's Day every year. Oh, uh, come on. You got to get a better movie to watch around then. Because, <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of heartwarming, but it's also incredibly deeply sad, yeah. which is uh, my kind of movie. I and, like it, though. It was re- it's real. It was really good. And, uh, and I think that's probably one of the more mainstream picks on my list, which is why it's an honorable mention. Uh, but if you haven't seen it and you like stuff about artificial intelligence, uh, which is a personal favorite genre of mine, please give it a watch. And mine is maybe the most recent movie. It might be. Uh, I think it might have come out the same time as The Lighthouse. But mine is Molly's Game. Um, it is a Aaron Sor- I think Aaron Sorkin's first film question mark okay maybe if you don't know aaron sorkin he's done a lot in tv he was a writer of the show the west wing um the newsroom probably some other stuff that i'm not thinking of because the dude's written for a bajillion things i just saw trial of the chicago seven on netflix and at the end of the movie i had realized it was an aaron sorkin film and i thought you know i should watch more aaron sorkin 
He is wordy as hell, but I like it. And boy, is that true for Molly's game because it's just talking, 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 talk, fast talking like the whole time. And I'm some people. It's for some people. It's not a. It's not their thing, and I completely get that because there is a boatload of dialogue. But uh, I, I don't know. I thought it was really good. I really liked it. It's one more that I don't know. I always have a hard time like recommending it to anyone. One, because it's like two, almost three hours, and it's just like, oh god, it's long. <laughs> but um, I think it's really good. Uh, who is the main actress in it? I can't remember. I love her. Who is in uh, Zero Dark Thirty? Ooh, that Jessica Chastain. Me. Oh, okay, there you go. Um, Jessica Chastain's the main character. So, uh, real quick about it. Um. Jessica Chastain plays it's an actual it's a real story so this is based off of something that actually happened she plays Molly Bloom who was uh an Olympic skier who I think had a bad I think it happens at the very beginning she has a really brutal crash that takes her out of being able to compete in Olympic skiing and somehow she gets into working with uh underground poker clubs or games, not clubs, poker games, and then is running this huge poker game with a bunch of celebrities. Um, I think when the movie came out, there was a lot of talk about who is the Mike, who do, who is the actor that Michael Sarah plays in it? Who's the guy who just steals everyone's money and is kind of a dick? Um, but it's just really interesting to see. So basically, like she starts running it. It's technically not illegal to run a poker game as long as you're not taking a like percentage of each hand. Like if you're simply running it and everyone coming in is using their money and the house isn't taking a cut, it's completely illegal. But eventually she starts taking a cut, minor spoiler, and things kind of just go downhill from there. This, I think the, the Russian mob gets involved and it, you just see her go down this path of like the FBI is trying to get the names of the people involved, but she never tells them that. And I think there's a bunch of lawsuits. So you get the whole like it goes through the whole story, but it was just really well done. I thought very interesting story. Um, I think it got some shit for some of the portrayal of certain characters but it's an Aaron Sorkin movie, so I'm not surprised that there's some controversy. <laughs> but um, I, I really like it, um, and I think I've spoken on it way too much for an honorable mention already. So <laughs> check it out. Uh, my other one is not even necessarily a movie that I think more people should see, but I, I, I just want to share that uh, the <laughs> I decided the best way to come across movies is the way that I ended up watching this one. It's called Frank. Are you familiar with Frank? No, I'm not. So in the early days of Netflix streaming, this was a movie that I had constantly seen on uh, not not even the recommendations, but like it just came up in categories that I was scrolling through when the Netflix streaming library was not very big. I have no idea the director. I don't think there were any like decently named actors. It was a super indie movie. The, the cover that they had on Netflix was just like a dude in a giant paper mache helmet that was like a a cartoonish face and this was the titular Frank. Do you know who plays Frank? No, who is it? Michael Fassbender. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I I had no idea what this movie could be about because it was just like a plain blue background with apparently Michael Fassbender in like a mascot paper mache head and it was called Frank. I, I had seen this movie come across on Netflix for weeks and months before I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I don't know anything about this movie at all. I haven't looked it up whatsoever, but this cover is so goddamn weird. I'm going to watch it. And what I ended up getting into was a surprisingly poignant story about uh, like people trying to make something worthwhile in a band. And they meet up with this guy, Frank, who like is pretty good at what he does, but is cripplingly shy, which is why he wears the the mascot head to hide himself. And it's like the struggle of them with Frank to 
go through the creative process of a band and try to come out on the other side with something decent and also like Frank dealing with his issues. Uh, it's It's been so long since I've seen the movie, but it was an experience that has kind of stuck with me in the back of my head where I, I can't speak on anything too profound about the movie. I just know that I really enjoyed it and I was incredibly surprised because I had watched it on a total whim that nobody had ever mentioned the movie to me before. I hadn't watched a trailer. I'd never heard of the movie. I just saw it on Netflix and I thought, you know what? Tonight. <laughs> Those can be some of the best experiences. Yeah, and like I said, it, it's kind of stuck with me. So I I can't even say that more people should see it, but like if you if you want something like kind of weird, then uh, uh, please see it so I can at least talk to somebody about it. Okay, I might I might check it out. It looks weird as hell, but it's got pretty decent reviews on the initial stuff. Ninety two percent on Rotten Tomatoes and three point five out of four from Rolling Stone. So yeah, those are our movies. Uh, we before we go. We have a one small uh, correction to make from last week. Oh yeah, I don't is that how we want to? Is that how we want to word it? Sure, a correction. Yeah, and I, I had meant to do this at the front of the show, but then got wrapped up talking about stonks. <laughs> uh, and it's just that. So, so last week I went on a whole tirade about uh, like old network shows not being on their respective streaming services, and I looked into HBO Max a little bit more closely afterwards. Uh, and uh, HBO Max actually does have a decent library of Cartoon Network shows on there, which I was very happy to find. Uh, and specifically, I, I kept pounding home about Ed, Ed, and Eddie on the podcast last week just because I really like Ed, Ed, and Eddie. And it turns out that show actually is on HBO Max currently. So if you have HBO Max, uh, go have yourself a little Ed, Ed, and Eddie marathon because it's a show that deserves to be marathoned. Uh, but the they, point's still valid. Get yeah. the whole freaking library on there. Because they, they've got like a good amount, but they don't have all of it. And I really think they should have all of it. Yeah, is Code Lyoko on there? I, I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> I don't want to watch that, so I hope it's not. <laughs> that one you can keep off of there. Uh, but I still hope that Paramount, when they launch their thing, it's got all of Nickelodeon on there. Well, I mean, I know it, it won't, won't, but... It won't at launch. And There's Disney, no way. Disney Plus should definitely have more shows on there. Uh, but HBO Max seems to have the the best effort of putting their catalog of kids shows up on there. Because it's even got some gems. Like, uh, The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy is on there. Which I always really, really liked. Um, original Teen Titans. Original Teen Titans, because they rolled all their DC shit in there. Uh, Foster Home for Imaginary Friends is on there. Uh, Chowder is on there. I think Flapjack is on there. Samurai Jack. As well as uh, all the newer Cartoon Network stuff, if that's your thing. So, like, uh, eh. Clarence. Gumball. Adventure Time, Gumball. Uh, not to not to downplay any of those shows, except maybe Clarence, but because uh, Gumball's pretty decent, actually. Uh, but, yeah, good on HBO Max. They should have more, but they have a good catalog as is. We, I won't be satisfied until everything is available, which <laughs> means I will never be satisfied, but so is my life. So, yeah, that'll do us for this week. Next week, who the hell knows what we're going to talk about. Maybe the stock market will have exploded, and we'll just have to talk about how there's just money falling from the sky because all the banks exploded. But, yeah, or maybe next time we'll be wearing barrels and we'll start shilling a Patreon to keep us alive. Yeah, <laughs> starting an OnlyFans, <laughs> asking for p- feet pics. I mean, shit, you want to pay me $5, I'll send you feet pics. <laughs> Put on Wiki okay, feet, okay that's great so yeah that'll do it for this week <laughs> oh i'm sorry you don't like me shilling my feet now uh no not on the podcast that's what the <laughs> that's what the twitter accounts for okay. oh yeah follow us on our twitter at uh what is it healthy underscore pod yeah that obsession underscore pod obsession see i don't even know and i made the damn thing <laughs> check out our twitter uh we're still streaming over on twitch i'm starting Resident Evil 7 this week. If you want to see a boy get scared, uh, come watch because I will get scared. Any other plugs? Uh, no, I think they'll do us. Okay, well, thank you for listening and hopefully you're back next week. Thank you, bye! Bye!